Hey everyone, welcome to the Gatekeepers Podcast. In this episode, Peter Keller continues the Ten Commandments series by teaching the Eighth, Ninth, and Tenth Commandments. If you want to know more about Gatekeepers, visit gatecityatl.com slash gatekeepers. Enjoy. Well, if you don't know me, my name is Peter. Peter Keller, I am voluntary staff here. Not really staff, just volunteer really. Um, but I am one of the leaders. I've been here for a few years. The rest of our guys are out of town. Um, so it is my joy to bring this message. Now, we've been covering the Ten Commandments that, that Moses was given by God um, in the book of Exodus, way back when, right after the children of Israel escaped out of the land. They were delivered out of the land of Egypt by God. And they're, they're out of the land of Egypt for a couple months or a couple years. I don't know the exact timeline. It's for a while, right? And they just start running into a bunch of issues, a bunch of issues of sin. And sin is the reason that they were in bondage in the first place, right? It's the reason that they're wandering around in the desert because they just don't trust God to deliver them into uh, the next place, and so God decides to create a law, and the law is put forth in the form of Ten Commands. And when I was growing up, I was taught the Ten Commandments. I was taught the Ten Commandments through the lens, just being honest, through the lens of, hey, God is our master, and if we don't follow these commands, then there are going to be drastic consequences. And I'm not saying that that's a wrong way to look at it, but I'm saying that's not the only way to look at it. God is a father as well as our Lord, right? He's a father, and as a father relates to his children, he decided to set up boundaries for our own good. What are the consequences of sin? Death, right? So in order to keep his children from bearing the consequences of sin, he said, I'm going to set up some boundaries so that you don't go run out in the street and get hit by a car. So the law was not meant to constrict. The law was meant to liberate and to bring his children into true freedom and to keep them safe, just like a father would keep his children safe. The purpose of this sermon is not to condemn. That's something else I want to say, because I feel like when we're talking about commands, oftentimes when I'm sitting in the room, I'm thinking, man, I fall short on so many different levels. That's not God's desire for you tonight. God's desire for you in this place is to have his Holy Spirit convict your heart. What's the difference there? Condemnation makes you feel really bad and icky, right? God does not condemn you. The enemy condemns you. God sends his spirit of conviction. And what it does is it's actually going to create in us something that is holy and something that is pure and something that is good. So if you start feeling any condemnation from this message or any of the sermons that we've been going over, just tell the enemy to shut up. It's that easy. Say, that's just a lie. That's you trying to get in my way of actually hearing what God is trying to speak to me tonight. Okay. We're not slaves to the law. We're servants of righteousness. Hallelujah. Let me hear hallelujah. Hallelujah. Awesome. 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 So let's go through a quick overview of the things we covered. 
So Casey, in the past like three weeks, three sermons, he's really covered the first uh, six, yeah, the first six of the commands of God. And he just sort of gave us some practicals on how to actually go about obeying these commands, right? Because there's, we can either follow the letter of the law or the spirit of the law, or we could follow both, right? The letter of the law says, hey, we have to just live this thing to the T. It says, do not steal. I'm not going to steal. But the spirit of the law is more than that, right? The spirit is, hey, don't steal. And also don't, don't just go about half stealing. Don't go about, you know, half lying. Don't go about, you know, murdering your brother in your heart. Like that's the real spirit that God was trying to portray in the laws. And so Casey just sort of gave us some basic pointers on how we can live uh, according to these laws. So the first law, who knows it? First commandment. What is it? All right. You shall, it's actually, you shall have no other God before me. But that is technically the great commandment. So that's, that, that covers everything. It's perfect. Let's go. Give me a hand. No, it literally is. That's, that's the law. That's the spirit of the law, right? It's, it's not necessarily the letter of the law, but that is by 100% the, uh, the, the spirit of the law. So when it comes to having no other gods but Yahweh, uh, the way that we can do that is by not worshiping people, by not putting people on a pedestal, by not lifting them up and saying, wow, those people are incredible and basically worshiping them, okay? And then obviously the other... The easier one that we probably grew up thinking is, don't go worshiping Allah. Don't go, you know, give your life to Buddha. I, I don't really know exactly how all that stuff works, Buddhism, but I'm sure there are people that have dedicated themselves to Buddha. Uh, the second command is, you shall not worship idols. Now, we don't have in our society a bunch of, like, wooden boxes that we worship to. If you go down to Mexico, if you go to other countries, you'll see them. Here, we don't really have that. So how does that apply to us? We can still worship stuff, right? We can say, man, that car that I have, that really nice Ferrari, I spent all of my life working up to this one thing, and it, it fulfills me. It is my God. I love it. No, we're not going to do that. Um, I'm being ridiculous because it is sort of ridiculous, but I mean, that could be anything. It could be, hey, I'm going to value and worship video games. I'm going to worship my job. I'm going to worship X, Y, or Z. So we have to be very careful not to uh, worship and not to dedicate all of our life and all of our time to stuff. The third command, you shall not use God's name in vain. And growing up, I, I always heard that this one was, hey, don't say, oh my God, like that's the worst thing. And hey, that's probably maybe bad. I, I don't feel conviction on that one. But uh, three ways that Casey said that we can uh, avoid using God's name in vain is do not use the name of God for personal gain, right? So I'm not going to go about saying I'm a Christian pastor and go, you know, make a ton of money. I don't maybe raise support, but I'm actually not a Christian. I'm actually not really doing the things of God. Like, I'm not going to use God's name for my own personal gain. The second way is using the name of God to control. So God told me that you're supposed to go and do this. 
Um, we're not supposed to do that. That's using God's name in vain. Unless if God really did, but I'm telling you, and I think Casey would agree, 99.999% of the time, God is not going to go tell you to control someone else, right? And then the last way is misrepresentation of his word. So that's where, you know, in Nazi Germany, Hitler decided to say, hey, we're going to go kill Jews, and he used Bible references to justify it. We're not going to do that. Can I get an amen? Amen. The fourth command of God is to remember the Sabbath. And this one was sort of a fun uh, lesson from Casey. He simply said, go get a job. That's it. Just go get a job, right? But he was sort of kidding. Um, When we think of the Sabbath, we always think of resting. But what that command actually says is work six days a week and rest on the Sabbath, right? And so as believers, oftentimes, younger believers, especially myself included, I'm thinking, man, I really just need to rest. Like God just wants me to rest all the time. No, he says, go work six days a week because it's actually good for you to go work and then rest because in us working six days a week and then resting, we're actually getting to partake in what God did in creation, right? He, he worked six days, created the world, created everything in it in six days. And on the Sabbath, he rested. Number five, honor your parents. The biggest thing that Casey uh, sort of hit on there is even if you don't know how to honor your parents, be a blessing when you're in the home. If you're still living with your parents, don't be a curse to them. Do not be a burden to them. Honor them by doing dishes, by doing your laundry, by not asking them to always uh, clean up after you, by closing the toilet seat, right? There are a ton of different ways that you could honor your parents in that way and be a blessing instead of a curse to your parents. The sixth command is you shall not murder. Uh, I don't know all of y'all's stories. I don't think anyone in here has probably murdered anyone, but Casey did talk about how Jesus actually calls us to a higher standard than just don't go kill someone. He says, do not say in your heart, you are a fool. Do not hate someone in your heart because in doing so, you're actually breaking the spirit of the law of murder, which is you're murdering them in your heart. It's just as evil to the Lord and just as sinful to him, okay? He calls us higher. He calls us out of it. And then the seventh command, we actually haven't touched on this one yet. Casey's going to hit on it next week. Uh, I didn't really want to touch on it because he's a little bit older than me, but it is, uh, you shall not commit adultery. And so I'm really looking forward to that next week. So that said, we get to go through seven through or eight through 10, starting with stealing. All right. I just got to know who here has ever stolen something. Can I tell you guys my first ever remembrance of me stealing something. I was probably four or five. I was in a convenience store and my mom said, no, we're not going to get that pack of gum. What did I do? Oh, I took that pack of gum. I stuck it in my pocket and I walked out. And then I pulled that pack of gum out of my pocket and started eating gum. And my mom said, where'd you get that? And oh boy, was I in trouble. Okay. That was my first ever time of stealing. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't really realize it was wrong until I did it that one time, right? You, you, you think, oh, well, it's just there. You don't, as a four-year-old, you don't really understand the concept of money. I was actually just talking to my three-year-old niece today. She's like, where, where do, we, why can we go eat? I'm like, well, it's because we work. 
It's because we have to pay for things. And so the first time I ever stole was a piece of candy, right? And I'm sure some of you guys have probably stolen things more. I've definitely stolen more than that. Not not to brag, because obviously it's a sin. Um, but I just want to say that's not the extent of my stealing, okay? We've all stolen things. Now, when we really think of stealing, though, like as, as kids, what do we think of? We probably think of bank robberies. We think of like big ticket stealing, like Grand Theft Auto. We think of... Uh, Oh, I, I think of my little brother, too, stealing, or he, he took a chocolate bunny rabbit, like one of those Easter bunnies, off of a counter, went behind a couch, hid, ate the bunny, had chocolate all over his mouth. And when my mom asked him what happened to the bunny, he's like, oh, and she, she came down on him pretty hard. Like, we all have tons of different things that we can think of. Uh, when it comes to stealing. And I, I promise you, most of the time, I don't think that I steal. But because I'm looking at the letter of the law, not necessarily the spirit of the law, okay? Um, let's see. What is the definition of stealing? Anyone want to take a shot at it? That's it. Good job, Toby. Uh, a more in-depth definition of it is taking something that does not belong to you without permission or right, especially in secret or by force. I've done that probably a million times. And um, it's, I, I think it's normal in our culture to try to justify stealing. How do we justify it? We say, well, it wasn't that, it wasn't that big of a ticket. You know, the, the price on that thing that I stole, it's, it's really not that big of a deal. It was just a pack of gum. I try to, we try to justify it by saying, well, Robin Hood stole from the rich and gave to the poor, right? We try to justify it in all of these different ways. But are we accountable to Robin Hood or are we accountable to the Bible? Yeah, I'm not reading Robin Hood as my source of truth, Right. And what does, what does Exodus 20, 15 say? Someone want to pull it out? Molly, you got it? Anyone? Exodus 20, verse 15. All right. Does it say you shall not steal if they are poorer than you? Does it say you shall not steal if they are richer than you? No, right? It says you shall not steal. God does not give us any sort of excuses on our actions there. He says it's actually wrong for us to steal things. Now, why does God care about stealing so much? Because it hurts the people he loves. So who has been stolen from in this room? All right. I had a $600 headset. I'm a pilot and I had an aviation headset get stolen from me. I was like real, I was living life very poor and $600 headset got stolen from me. And it made my life really difficult because that was something I used on my day-to-day. And in that action of someone else stealing from me, it really hurt me. Like maybe it didn't hurt my, my eternal being, but in the moment, like right now, I don't really care about it, honestly. I'm past that. I've forgiven that person, whoever they are. But um, I was hurt financially financially. 
I was hurt spiritually because I was like, man, I can't believe someone would do that. I thought that people were good. Turns out uh, we're actually all fallen. So when was the first instance of stealing? Genesis 3. Let's turn there real quick. If you know me, you know I love Genesis 3 because I love the story of the fall. Not because the fall is a good story, but because God gives us lots of promises in Genesis 3. He promises to right the wrongs of Genesis 3. But in Genesis 3, we see man and woman decided to steal something that wasn't theirs. Well, what did they steal? The forbidden fruit. Exactly. God said, hey, everything, literally everything in this garden is yours, except there's one thing that's not yours. It's mine. And that is the knowledge, the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. And so in taking that fruit and eating it, they ended up stealing. And that brought about what we all know as the fall. That's when sin entered the world. And so God, from that first moment, he saw that, hey, this is actually going to bring about death if you continue to do it. He said, well, I'm just going to tell the children of Israel, let's not, let's not steal because that's one of the reasons that you guys fell in the first place. So if I can set up boundaries for you guys to just follow the law, that'll keep you from hurting yourself and hurting others. When it comes to taking something from someone else or someone else taking something from you, we're actually taking something that is the Lord's. Who here knows that the earth is the Lord's, all of its fullness? Everything that dwells inside the earth is the Lord, is the Lord's. I'm the Lord's, you're the Lord's, your stuff is the Lord's. And guess what? He gets to give us what he pleases. He gets to a lot of things. And when we take anything from someone else, we're saying, well, that person's thing that the Lord gave them for their, for his specific reason, why, you know, however he decided it was good for them to have that thing, I'm going to say, no, I actually want that for myself. And it really comes down to greed. He gives us gifts, but he also gives others gifts. And I think that we have a mentality here in the West of me, 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 right? Everything is about me. And so if I don't have something, it's my right to take it. And God says, no, you actually don't have any rights. Everything that I, everything that you have is actually mine. You don't own anything. It's all from me. And so in you taking it, you're actually stealing from me. Now, like I was saying earlier, I don't think that here in this community, we are actively going out and committing bank fraud or Grand Theft Auto, I don't know any of you guys who have stolen planes or robbed a bank, right? But I think in our society, we have normalized a lot of different aspects of stealing. And so I just want to go over a couple of those different, uh, the ways that we steal um, and cover three different places that we steal or that we might steal. Stealing from an employer. Who here works for someone? Awesome. Who here has uh, gone out and scrolled social media while on the work on, on the job? Who here has ever taken a smoke break? I, I, I used to not be a Christian, um, believe it or not. Um, who here has ever r ridden the clock 
just, you know, sitting around doing nothing and trying to make a little bit of extra cash. I've done that. Like I said, I'm, I'm not perfect. Okay. I remember one time I was out of toilet paper at my house and my, uh, my Chick-fil-A, or I think it was Red Lobster actually at the time. I was like, man, they've got a lot of toilet paper back there in the, in the supply closet. What I do, I went in, I took what was not mine and I stole it. And I didn't have the conviction of the Holy Spirit back then because I wasn't a Christian. Hallelujah. Um, they're not hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. Hallelujah. <laughs> but all that said, there are, there are elements that we just overlook. You know, we, we look at the letter of the law and we see it as, well, I wasn't really taking something from my employer by just sitting there on the clock. But in reality, you're actually taking money and they're paying you to do a job. And when you're not doing that job, you're stealing their time, you're stealing their money, their resources. And I have definitely done that. And since then, the Lord has really um, convicted me. I, I'm self-employed now. And so when I'm working, it's amazing because I actually, I have to consistently make sure that I'm guarding myself against like slacking because my clients are paying me. My boss isn't paying me. My clients are paying me. And if I, if I take my time, if I'm not doing a good job, I'm actually going to lose business. Um, and so the Lord doesn't want us to steal from our employer. There's someone who is supposed to bless us. And when we're stealing from someone that's blessing us, we're actually being a curse to them. The second uh, group that we sometimes steal from, I hope none of us steal from this person, but I just got to say it, stealing from the government. Who likes taxes? Who likes our current, our current political party or just the way that politics work in the US? Pretty much no one or two people maybe. I don't really, I, I was an international affairs major. I was a political science guy. I thought I was going to go into politics. And I just don't really like taxes that much. Because what, what are taxes? Taxes? Probably thefts. But you want to know what? Jesus says that we have to give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right? And if we withhold from Caesar what is Caesar's, who, who gave Caesar everything? God. So are we stealing from Caesar or are we stealing from God? Stealing from God by stealing from Caesar. So we don't get a say in that one. Um, I don't really like paying 20 to 30% of my paycheck, but the government gets my first fruits. Now, it wasn't that way forever, right? Back way when, when the laws were written, God was given the first fruits of everyone's labor. Now, what is that? That's the first uh, sheep, the first lamb that was born was given to God out of the whole flock of lamb. And people would give a portion of their labor to the Lord. Now the government gets our first fruits, but God still asks us to give to him and to be generous. So the third party that we steal from is stealing from the Lord. And like I was saying, those other two parties, when we steal from them, we're indirectly stealing from God. But when we're actually directly stealing from God, this is how we do it. God asks us and requires of us, each each of us, to give differently, right? Who here has the Holy Spirit inside of them? Did you know when you're disobedient to the Holy Spirit, it's sin? Pretty, pretty intense. When God asks us to give him something and we withhold, we are actually stealing from him. Acts 5, who's familiar with the story of Ananias and Sapphira? 
how did that story turn out? They lied, and what happened? They lied, and then they died. That could be a good, like, song or, like, a children's story song, something like that. They lied, and then they died. And was it really the lie that, that was grievance to the Lord? I don't think so. I think the Lord asked them to do something. He said, hey, I want you to contribute. I want you to give me a little bit of what I've given you. And actually, they sold something big, right? He was like, I, I, I'm requiring a lot of you in this moment, but I'm expecting you to be obedient to me. So it actually wasn't them lying that got them dead. It was them disobeying the Lord that ended, ended in their <laughs> untimely demise. They, they said, I have given everything or I've given all of the proceeds of my sale to God. And they didn't. They were withholding from God. And God owns everything. The fact that God owns everything and he asked 10% of us, or he asked the Israelites 10% of us, is that generous of God? If, if it, God could have turned it around, he could have said, hey, you have to give me 90% and, I, and you get to keep 10. And we're sitting here like, man, 10% or, you know, whatever God requires of me, it's so much. No, God is so good. He just wants us to participate and to trust in him with our finances. And so in us withholding our finances, we are stealing from the Lord. Another way that I uh, see us steal from the Lord, and this one's a little bit more abstract, is I've seen in the church people steal the Lord's glory. And what that looks like is we go out and we do something big. We do something maybe that the Lord even asked us to do. But then what do we do? We take a picture of it. We post it on Instagram. And who gets glory when you post something on Instagram with a selfie and you're looking really cute or really handsome? Yourself, right? You're stealing the glory of the Lord in building up yourself. Guess what? If God wants to build you up, he will. You don't have to do all these great deeds. He says, do things in secret so that I will exalt you. And those who are doing things uh, on, on the mountaintops, they will be, what's the opposite of exalted? Brought low. Thanks, guys. You guys are great. Great crowd tonight. <laughs> Amen. All right. So... We talked a little bit earlier about what makes us want to steal. At the root of it, it is greed. Stealing is the manifestation of what happens when we allow things and stuff and money to become our God. Right? We wouldn't steal if we didn't care about things and stuff and money. And at the end of the day, Jesus says, you have one choice. You can only serve one master. You can serve either God or you can serve money. You can, because the only option is you'll either, serve, uh, you'll either hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. What that means is I can't love God and also have money be an idol in my life. It just doesn't work out that way because they're always going to be opposing each other. If I'm, if I'm saying I'm going to rely on greed and on just the amassing of stuff in order to keep me safe, I can't trust in God. 
I can't love the Lord, my God, with all my heart if I'm loving money with all of my heart, right? It's that it's the, maybe not necessarily in the letter of the law, but it's in the spirit of the law. I just want to, I want to finish sort of the eighth commandment by talking about how do we keep our hearts pure and from a place of wanting to steal. The first, uh, first thing that I found in my life is if God requires of you, if he's asking something of you, if you're feeling the spirit lead you, follow him, be obedient. If he's telling you, you know, maybe you just inherited $100,000. If he's telling you to go sow 80000 of it into a person or a ministry or into a widow, it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it, we, we have to be obedient to God because otherwise we're saying, okay, well, God, I'm not, I'm not really trusting you. I'm not saying that, or I, I'm, I'm not agreeing that you're going to take care of me. I'm not agreeing that everything is actually yours. So be generous to the Lord. Agree with the Lord in that, in that area of your life. Uh, another helpful thing that I've found in my life is do that tithing thing. Statistically, most Christians do not tithe. Um, I think we do. A lot of our people tithe, and there's no shame or guilt if you don't. But I would examine your heart and ask, hey, God, is it actually a good idea to give you 10% of what I own? of the things I make, because if I'm not actively giving to you, I might forget about you. And the last uh, thing that we can do in order to keep our hearts from uh, stealing is by just being generous. What's the opposite of greed? It's being generous. So if we just go about our lives as as believers, giving and giving lavishly, we're actually actively fighting against the spirit of greed. Can I get an amen? Last thing I want to talk about there is um, the widow's mite. Who's familiar with the widow's mite story? So Mark 12, Jesus is talking a lot about money there. It's like right after he talks about give to Caesar, what is Caesar's, talks about finances. And then he's talking about all of these different wealthy men who are coming in and giving to God. And they're, they're making these big, this big show of things. They're saying, wow, we're giving a lot. Like, we're great. And then this poor little widow shows up and throws like two pennies into the offering bucket in the temple. And Jesus stops his conversation. And he's like, did you see what just happened? That lady just gave more than all those wealthy men because she was giving out of a place where it actually hurt her a little bit to give because she was being so generous. Maybe she only had five pennies. She, she gave two of those pennies. And to the Lord, her generosity was honored. And he actually mentioned her. There's not a whole lot of people in the Bible that are mentioned, right? Like it's incredible that the poorest lady in society was mentioned by Jesus just because she was being obedient to what God called her to do. All right. So, in this house, let's be ones who give the Lord what he requires. Let's be generous, and let's try to tithe if you feel the Lord tell you to. Command nine, lying. Exodus 20, verse 16. Who's there? Anyone? Read it out for me. Sorry, I'm a teacher, so I really like... uh, 
getting people to read things and engage. Awesome. Mine says, you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. It's the same thing. At the heart of it, though, it's lying. I used to think that uh, false testimony was only talking about the court of law. Who, who here has ever watched like uh, Law and Order and you know people are giving their testimony? Or, I don't know, there's probably like 10 other shows that are sort of the same vibe. But, you know, there you're always hearing people come up to the stand and they're witnesses and they're saying, you know, I swear, uh, what is it? I swear on the truth, by the truth, and nothing but the truth, so help me God, right? People are saying, hey, what I'm saying is what I know, and I'm telling the truth. And in the court of law, it's really important to have truth. And so guess what? We're talking about the commandments of the Lord, which are laws. And so God really cares about us telling the truth and not lying, not bearing false witness or false testimony against our neighbors. Now, what is truth? Drop the mic. We live in a pretty postmodern world, don't we, guys? Who here has ever been like, been in a conversation with someone? And they're like, well, it's my truth. Well, that's not how it really is to me because it's not convenient for me. I, I know a lot of people that are like that, and I'm not trying to like make fun of them or anything, but that's the world that we live in. We live in a world where truth is relative, where truth is starting to be tainted by lies. And we, we call it relative truth, but in reality, because we live in reality and we abide by truth, a half lie is, a half truth is, that's right, good job. Some of you guys said truth, but um, awesome. So not bearing a false witness is telling the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. We're not withholding truth. We're not changing it to fit our desired outcome. We're actually being honest. God doesn't believe in half-truths because he is the truth. Let me say that again. God doesn't believe in half-truths because he is the truth. Is God relative? Does he change? No. So when we're, when we're changing the truth and we're changing our, our perspective, we're actually disagreeing with the heart of God. We're saying God is not God. We're saying we are God. Uh, Hebrews 4.13, you don't have to turn there. It says, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and exposed before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So when we're telling the truth or when we're telling lies, guess what? Toby might not know if I'm telling you, if I'm telling him the truth about something. But guess who knows? God. God knows 100%. He sees all things. And it even says in Hebrews right there that at the end, we're going to be held account for all of our deeds, all of our ways, all of our truths and all of our untruths. He sees us. He knows us and he is willing to call us into account. Now, why doesn't God want us to lie? Anyone want to take a shot at it? That's right, because we're going against the nature of God. God is truth. When we lie, we're actually talking against his character. Lying violates 
that great commandment that we were talking about earlier, which is love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. What's the second part of it? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we're lying, not only are we saying, okay, God, your truth is not the truth. I'm going to participate in a lie. I'm going to participate in evil. We're actually also, most of the time, we're harming people. We're harming people's understanding of reality, right? Let's take it back 2,000 years from, from when Moses did his thing, when he was writing down the commands, back to Adam and Eve again. Genesis 3. What did the serpent say to, to Eve in order to get her to eat the fruit? He said, this fruit's really good. It's not going to make you die, right? Is that truth or is that a lie? That's a lie. So it's sort of interesting how both of these commands that we've talked about so far are rooted back, or they, they, were, they had instances back to the garden, okay? And what happened as a result of that lie? Sin, people were separated from God. We were separated from God. That's a serious issue. So God doesn't want that to happen again, right? And nothing can separate us from the love of God. So I just want to get that out there. We're all covered. If you are a believer in this house, there is nothing that can separate you from God's love. But the consequences of sin, you will reap the rewards of sin. God knows the truth. Nothing's hidden from his sight. He's jealous about defending those he loves. Proverbs 25, 18 talks about what happens when, when we say lies against our brothers, against our sisters, against our acquaintances. It says, a man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a war club or a sword or a sharp arrow. Now, if you're just thinking it's like, oh, it's just like, he's like a club. No, it's, it's you're, you're taking that club and I'm taking one of my Michiganese friends over here no, Michiganders, Michiganders over here. I'm, I'm taking this big wooden club and I'm going, Wah! and I'm taking a sword and I'm going, Shah! and I'm taking a, a arrow, a sharp arrow, and I'm getting it in your heart. And when you get hit by something or you get stabbed by something or you get shivved by something, does that feel good? No, most of the time, if you get stabbed by a sword, what's the result going to be? Death, a part of you dies when, when, when you start, or a part of the person that you're lying about dies when you start lying about them, when you start bearing false witness. And God loves people, right? He like loves people a lot. He loves you a lot, but he is also very jealous for his bride. He's jealous for the other people that he loves. And so when we start lying about our neighbors, when we start sowing discord among the brethren, it actually is hurting the people that God loves. Proverbs 28, 21 says, there is death and life in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. So when we speak truth, we will bear truth. When we speak lies, we will bear the, the we will sow, or ah, when we sow lies, we will reap Lies and truth is, is sort of on the same level as life, right? When you are living in truth, you are going to live according to the life of God in you. 
When we're abiding in lies, we're abiding in sin, and we're going to reap the consequences of sin, which are death. And then check it out, guys. When we participate in lying, this one sort of got me good when I was thinking about it. When we participate in lying, we are acting as sons of Satan. Who is Satan? What's, his, what's one of his descriptors? He's the father of lies. So we're acting in accordance with Satan. We're actually being on his team, which those who are in Jesus, guess what? That's not who we're called to be. We're called to be sons of and daughters of truth. Can I get an amen? Amen. So how do we lie? In, today, in today's society, in, in our culture, in our age, in our church, we, we have a number of ways that we lie. And Casey actually touched on a couple of these uh, a few weeks ago. He talked about deception and false teachings, right? Talked about at the end of the age, there's going to be a great offense with Christ because of the deception of the enemy and because people have been having their ears be tickled by false teachers. And, you know, they're, they're hearing prosperity gospel and then all of a sudden difficulties arises and they get offended, right? So, so that, those are obvious lies, right? It's like, okay, well, someone's clearly trying to deceive me. Someone's clearly trying to teach me something that is not true. But I think the way that I've engaged and I've seen members and my friends and, and all, all sorts of people in our community uh, sort of associate ourselves with lying. I'm trying to figure out a way to say it nicely. We lie, guys. Let's just be honest. Um, let's be truthful. We lie. Uh, gossip and slander. Who hears gossiped? I feel like I do it almost every day. And I'm preaching to myself here, guys, seriously. Um, slander, that's another way. But gossip is simply casual or unconstrained conversation or reports about other people, typically involving details that are not confirmed as being true. So when I was in middle school, we would play a game called Telephone. Who here has heard of that game? So, so what happens in that game is you say a phrase or a word to the, to the person on your right or your left, and they're trying, they, they try to portray to the person after them what you said, okay? So the thing I said could have been like, a school bus was on fire. And then the person in the, to the right of me says, a school bus was on, it was flaming, something like that, I, I don't know. But over time, what happens is the message or the, the, the phrase that I spoke gets distorted, right? And that's exactly what happens when we start gossiping. Maybe you weren't the eyewitness of what happened. Maybe you heard a rumor and you start per perpetuating it. But you were not necessarily the one who was there having a firsthand account. And you start spreading that rumor. And then all of a sudden, maybe you said something. And you're like, yeah, it wasn't really that bad. But then five people down the line, they, all of a sudden that rumor got out of hand. Who here has watched the, um, was it the rumor weed from VeggieTale? You guys remember what happened to that thing? It starts getting big and it starts getting bigger and bigger and bigger until it starts getting dangerous. It's been like probably 20 years since I saw it. So I have no idea actually how that thing ended. I'm sure it was good. Um, so honestly, guys, the way I've seen that in churches is someone says something along the lines of, man, that Peter guy, he, uh, 
he owns a plane. Is he really saved? Like, we're supposed to be poor in spirit, right? Like, we're, we're not supposed to have stuff, okay? And then, and then all of a sudden, Molly is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard he's, I've heard he's not saved. And then, and then like five, five people past her, all of a sudden, they're saying, man, I hear gatekeepers has, has preachers that are not saved, <laughs> but no, honestly, that's, that's how those, the, the rumors and gossip is actually detrimental in our body. It's like, we laugh about it, but I, I've seen it happen to where there are people who are good, moral believers who love the Lord. They're, they're walking in righteousness and one person starts a rumor and what does it do to them? It bludgeons them with that war club. It just goes, wah, hey. You're, you're really not saved. Wah. People, people don't like you. Wah. Get on the ground. Stay down. Stay down. And the enemy wants us. He wants to kill and steal and destroy. And that's one way that we as believers can actually participate in the enemy's plan. We don't want to do that. Slander is the action or crime of making a false spoken statement damaging to a person's reputation. And sometimes when we're gossiping, guess what? We actually slide into slander. Because at the end of the line, you're saying, hey, that guy doesn't love Jesus. Oh, he's a terrible person. Um, and we don't, we don't get to say that because we don't actually know the truth. And honestly, God probably loves them a lot. And so if you're saying something bad about them, God is probably, he has a much higher opinion than you do on that person. So in this house, guys, um, there, there are a couple things we can do to... Um, to prevent that. But before we get into that, I've got one more thing. Uh, this is another way that I do see us sort of participating in lying. We withhold and arrange truth. So when I was a kid, I, I use a lot of kids' stories because I just love my brothers and my sister. But when I was a kid, me and my older brother, Chris, we would get in fights all the time, right? We would both be punching, not, not, pulling, not holding back any punches. And the person that lost the fight, guess what they would tell mom? Mom, Chris hit me. Mom, Chris was punching me. Is that the whole truth? Was it just Chris that was punching me? Who was punching Chris? I was, right? And so I was reaping the results of my actions and I probably deserved to get punched, but I would withhold part of the information because it made my mom take my side. Now my mom saw right through that because my mom's a lot smarter than like a seven and eight year old. And so we would both get grounded, thank God. Um, the other way is we arrange truth. So maybe, maybe something happens in a situation and we start to maybe say, well, this happened and then this happened and this happened. And we, we sort of, we're dancing around with the truth, but we're not really telling the truth. That happens a lot. Like, especially in my workplace, we, we have to be very safe and we have to be orderly uh, being pilots. And sometimes someone does something wrong and then they start dancing around. Well, I was doing it right, but you know, this happened and then this happened. And it's like, well, actually you weren't doing it right. And we just have to be truthful about that. And so I see that happen in addition to gossip and slander a good bit. Um, and we just don't want to do that. So how can we avoid lying? Or why do we uh, lie? And how can we safeguard our, ourselves against it? So I'm going to give us six different ways uh, uh, or reasons why we lie. 
The first reason is to avoid negative consequences for ourselves. Who here has ever lied to get out of a situation that you didn't like? That's like most of the room. God help us. God help us. That's right. And, and in us doing that, most of the time, if we did something wrong, and that's the reason that we were having to tell the lie in the first place, we're basically saying, I'm going to play God and I'm going to change the truth. So we don't want to do that. Uh, the second reason that we lie is to create an illusion of who we are. I want to be cool. I want to look successful. I want to know all the people who are cool to know. So I'm going to lie about knowing Joe Biden. I know Joe Biden. He's one of my best friends. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I hear, I hear Peter knows Joe Biden. Or if you like Joe Biden, I don't know. Um, but so then you're like, wow, Peter knows Joe Biden. I'm going, to, I'm going to hang out with him. And all of a sudden, because I care about what other people care about me, I'm actually telling them a falsehood. So I'm participating in lying. Um, or let's say I just did something really bad and I'm like, man, I know I'm a, I'm a really terrible person. Maybe if I lie, they'll think I'm a good person. The reality is you're just a terrible person. I mean, we all are. Like, we have been saved by grace through faith. Am I right? There is no one who is righteous. No, not one. We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All right, the third reason is we lie to get what we want. So, you know, my brother's playing his little Nintendo Switch or whatever, or Game Boy Advance, I guess that's what it was 20 years ago. And... I'm like, Caleb, mom said I could, I could play that. Did mom actually say that I could play that? No, but my little brother believes me. And so I got what I wanted by nefarious means. And Psalm 25, two or one says, those who deal treacherously will be brought to shame. Something like that. You can check me on that, but don't deal treacherously or else you will be brought to shame. The truth will be revealed, and in that day, it's going to be bad. So don't lie just to get what you want. God is in control. You are not in control. Uh, the third, or sorry, the fourth thing is to remain in control of a situation. Like I just said, God's in control. You're not in control. Sometimes it feels like if we say a lie, we can actually be in control. We can manipulate the facts to make ourselves come out on top. That's just, that's not what God wants for us. He says, hey, I will, he'll, he'll make things work for you if he wants things to work for you. He wants you to live in the truth because that will keep you safe. The fifth reason is we lie to play God and to punish someone else. I've done this before and it's really, really bad, guys. You say, I don't like that person, so I'm going to spread it. I'm, I'm going to lie about them. I'm going to damage their reputation. Has anyone ever had their, their reputation damaged? It hurts, right? Because all of a sudden, your whole community turns against you. All of your friends turn against you. And even once the truth is, is revealed, you know, at the end of the tunnel, after all of the, the lies have passed over, guess what? People still feel certain ways about you. And so it damages your character. It damages your friend's characters when we lie. And God says, no, I will vindicate you. 
If, if you don't like someone, guess what? At the end of the day, God is the judge. You are not the judge. Don't go playing revenge. Don't be a Sith. Okay, Saya, I see you over there. All right, and the last reason is we lie to be accepted. We, we, we see peer pressure. We see the fear of man. And we start feeling the weight of what it is to, to be popular, to be cool, to be liked, to be regarded as someone who is worth hanging out with. And then we fold and we start lying about whatever it is. Just, you know, it's like, oh, uh, I'm hanging out with a couple of my coworkers who smoke. Oh, yeah, I, I smoked a lot when I was younger. You know, you just start lying about stuff and, and you start creating this persona that, that you're not. You're a believer. You don't need to give in to peer pressure. You need to love the heck out of your coworker until they, they see the light of Jesus in you. So, how can we avoid lying? The easiest way to avoid lying is to hold our tongue, to just shut up. Right? You literally cannot lie. Well, now, nowadays you could like text a lie or something. But if you just close your mouth, if you close your mouth 90% of the time, a lie is not going to come out of your lips. There's life, in the, there's life in death and the power of the tongue. And if you just restrain yourself, you're not going to lie. That's, that's one of the easiest ways. The other way is to get to know the Bible. You're not going to lie if you're constantly exposing yourself to truth. What happens when we expose ourselves to truth is that we start to live according to the truth. The proximity principle, I'll talk about this one all day. When we start to hang out with someone, we start to become like them. So when we hang out with Jesus in the word, when we hang out with the truth, it rubs off on, it rubs off on us. Is it ever okay to lie? How about the white lie? I don't know. I haven't figured that one out yet. Still working on it. If uh, I've had, I've had, you know, people come up to me and they're like, "Hey, does this, you know, does this thing make me look fat?" I'm like, "Well, I just want to be polite, honestly. I, I want to make you feel good, but also not lie. And so I don't know what's going to bless you more. But there are some, there's some very black and white things about lying, right? In uh. In the Bible, we have a couple of different instances where people actually lied in order to benefit others, right? We had uh, the midwives in the story of Exodus who lied to Pharaoh and said, hey, actually, the, this, the Hebrew women, they're just like really strong and they just push those babies out so fast that we can't kill them. They, they were lying because they wanted to save people's lives, right? The story of Rahab in Joshua it's the same way. Rahab lies to the city guard, says, yeah, I don't have, I, I haven't seen the, the spies of Israel in the land. They're not with me. Was she lying? Was that sin? No. She, she was actually, she was sort of looking at the law through the lens of, well, the law also, God also commands us not to murder, right? And so there are certain instances where it might not be sin to lie, but I don't want to use that to my advantage on the day-to-day. -day. I, I want to look at the spirit of the law and say, God actually just doesn't like us being dishonest. He doesn't like us lying to our neighbors just to, to have ill gain, right? 
And so there are definitely some bad lies and, and they're obvious. Um, the ones that make someone lose their job or go to jail or, or tear someone down, you know, where you, where, when you lie, you, you actively are like, man, I just lied about that person. And you can see the club going to their face. That's not a good lie. So let's stay away from that. Okay, guys. All right. How are we doing? We got one more law, one more command, and then I'm going to get you guys out of here. This is actually the best one. I'm going to rush through it though, because I am running just a little bit over. Commandment 10, coveting. Exodus 20 verse 17 says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or his donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Who knows what coveting is? It's sort of a weird word. Coveting is this, seeing something that you don't have, being jealous of the person who has it. In simplest terms, it is a state of discontented desire. Sorry, guys, I got to get some water. Think on, think on that for a second. A state of discontented desire. Who here has desires? Right? Did you guys know that your desires are actually from God? God created you to have desires. There's a bunch of different types of desires. Um, we have deep desires. We have deceptive desires. We've got all sorts of desires. And not all of them are from God. Because guess what? Are we living in a sinful world? Were you born into sin? Absolutely. So just because we have a desire does not mean that it is a good desire, right? Just because God gave us something when we were created does not mean that it has not been changed by the evil one and tainted. What does coveting look like on the day-to-day -day in our society? I'm just going to give you like three examples because I don't want to waste our time. Uh, when I was 16, my minimum wage job paid me $7.25 an hour. Guess what minimum wage is for like most people here in Georgia now? It's like 15 bucks. I have to actively be like, man, I'm so glad those people are making that money because when I was making 7.25 an hour, I was struggling. I'm like, oh, if only God, if only I could have made 15 an hour back then, I would be a millionaire now. Oh, it's so unfair. But guess what? That's me being discontented with what God's given me. Uh, I have friends that have bought houses and made hundreds of thousands of dollars just in, uh, in the housing market going up that I have to constantly be fighting uh, my, my heart. And uh, this one's real, guys, for, for you young guys and girls. Your crush is dating some guy or girl. Man, I wish I could be in their shoes. That guy or girl looks really good. I wish I could be that attractive. There's a bunch of different ways that, that we covet. And honestly, like probably in my life, 75% of it comes from social media. I'm like sitting there on social media and I'm actively coveting 90% of the time I'm scrolling. Because I'm like, oh man, I want to go fly upside down like that guy or dive off of a coast in, in Greece like that guy or, you know, have that Ferrari or that Mercedes like that guy. And all the, while, all the while, guess what? I'm actually actively coveting. So like I was saying earlier, guys, this is me preaching to myself um, and learning about myself while I'm preaching about myself. Hallelujah. Uh, 
Let's talk a little bit about why God hates coveting. Guess where we're going to go, guys? Back to Genesis. Genesis 3. Did Eve covet the fruit? Right? Yeah, that's right. She says, uh, hold on, let me find it. The, the actual quote. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also it was desirable for gaining wisdom, she took and ate it. So what was it that led her to stealing? It, coveting led her to stealing. Yeah, it was the beauty of the fruit, 100%. Coveting is actually one of the major issues, I think, that we have in our society today. Everyone covets, and, and we're built around coveting. We have credit lines that, you know, people will run up a credit bill for $100,000 just to get something that they want because they coveted it, right? And that's just normal in our society. It's normal to be in debt. And if you're in debt, I'm not speaking against you. I think probably most college students are in debt to some extent. Um, I don't want to speak that over you guys if that's not you. Hallelujah. But that's just, we've normalized this crazy thing. Solomon, who's the richest man on earth, he is the wisest man on earth, or was the wisest man on earth. In Ecclesiastes, he says, everything's really just vanity. It's all worthless. It's all meaningless. He, I've had everything. I've had, you know, all of the money. I've had all of the fame. I've had all of the glory. And at the end of the day, it doesn't mean anything. And so... In society, our society tells us if you just have a little bit more, if you just maybe worked out a little bit more, you would, you would be better looking. If, you know, X, Y, or Z, if you had more of this, life would be better. And Solomon says, actually, that's not the case. <laughs> it's sort of funny because we most, most of my life, I lived it thinking if I can just succeed in my job, if I could just make a little bit more money, I would be happy. Guess what, though, guys? Nothing can satisfy us. But there is one thing. What is that? That's right. Praise God. He satisfies every desire of our heart and will, he promises to satisfy us. Coveting is the direct result of us not trusting God. So we were talking earlier about stealing. We were talking about how stealing is a result of us having greed. And it's us saying, hey, this person's property that God gave to that person, I want it because I need it. It's, it's because God hasn't given it to me. I, I'm going to play God. And when we covet, that's all we're doing. We're, we're saying, I know better than God knows what I need. We become our own Lord. John 12, 31 says, Satan is the prince of this world and the people who live in this world have him as, as their Lord. Now, when we think of people who are just submitting to Satan, we think of like Satan worshipers, right? But that's not, that's not what that's actually talking about. It's talking about, Paul also, or Paul says in Philippians 3, 19, he says that uh, the pagans, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things, but, the, but our citizenship is in heaven. So the people who are in the world, 
who are not believers, who are living according to the ways of the world, they're going to live to satisfy their appetite. They're going to live to satisfy every desire that comes into their heart. They could be good desires. They could be bad desires. It could be, man, I want to be the best person I could be. I'm going to go give all of my money away and be a philanthropist. It could be, man, I'm going to go, I've got a craving for drugs. I'm going to go live my life just so I can get, get high again, right? And in America, we really do live in that, in that state of mind of, hey, if you want it, go get it. You can have anything you want. There's nothing wrong with wanting a little bit more. Wanting that, you know, that upgrade to a car. Wanting to, uh, I don't know, there's a million things that you could want. Wanting to upgrade and, and never being satisfied. So, we don't live according to our appetites. We live according to the law of the Lord. Now, coveting is the root of the other sins because it's a heart issue. It's not just a action. So, who here knows that you can change your actions? If I am punching someone, I can pull a punch. Who here knows that you can't change your heart? Who's in, who's in charge of changing your heart? God, right? He wants us to change into his image. And he's willing to participate in us changing. But he says... Uh, Proverbs says that our heart is partly our responsibility. It's our role to guard our heart above all else because from our heart springs all of the other issues. From our heart springs our actions. If our heart is evil, our actions are going to be evil. If our heart is good, our actions are going to be good. If we're living in truth, our actions are going to be truth. We don't hire a guard for just a day, right? When it says guard your heart, we don't just, you know, say, well, the most valuable thing in my life, I'm just going to leave it on, uh, on the, the seat of a Marta and just, you know, trust that no one's going to take it, that no bad guys are going to come and steal that possession. What we do is we employ as many people as necessary to keep things safe, that's why, that's why we spend so much money in our society on like security, right? Everyone has a password for their phone. Everyone has a password for their email. Everyone has, has a password for all sorts of things. And so how much more so important is your heart? If your heart is what stems everything else, if it's what, what everything else overflows from, we have to guard our hearts in order to not covet. Now, uh, I'm going to rush through like we've got one more page, but I'm almost done, guys. Jesus wants to help us. He says, uh, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's actually Paul, not Jesus, sorry. But Paul is saying, hey, guys, God is going to come and he's going to help you to change. It's not really your job. Your job is to say no to the world. His job is to take your hand and to start transforming you. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So we just have to sit and wait and ask God for grace to change us. We can't change our hearts on our own accord. The only way that we can be transformed is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ.
letting that old man pass away and the new man come and rise up. So how can we overcome a covetous heart? We can sit in satisfaction. David says, I know I will be satisfied when I awaken in your likeness, God. So we can just be content there. We can trust in the Lord's provision saying, I have enough. Matthew 6, 25 is a story where Jesus is like, hey, if the sparrow is cared for by God, if, if the grass is cared for by God, how much more so are you cared for? Why are you freaking out? Why are you worrying about the day-to-day and, and what tomorrow holds? God knows what you need. So being confident that God is actually going to provide is a way that we can, we can fight uh, a covetous heart. My favorite verse in probably the entire Bible is Proverbs 30, verse 7. It says, give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me only my daily bread, lest I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and dishonor the name of my God. Right there it says, if I have too much, I'm going to forget about God. If I have too little, I'm going to steal So God, give me my daily bread. Let me go one day at a time and just trust on your provision in the day in and the day out. And hey, it might not be clear exactly where you're leading me or where where tomorrow's food is coming, but I know you're going to provide. We can learn to be content like Paul. Paul said, Paul had everything before he he came to Christ, right? He was just well-known in society, had a lot of money, a lot of wealth. And then he gave, gave his life to Jesus was changed on the road to Damascus. And he says, I've learned to be content in all things, right? He's had it all, he's had nothing. And I've just learned to be content because I know God has what I need. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say again, rejoice. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God will come and guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And the last way we can fight a covetous heart is by giving instead of receiving. Paul says it's better to give than to receive. And that spirit of covetousness, it's really just lusting for things that God hasn't planned for you. And so learning to just fight that by giving, even when you don't really feel like it, it's like, well, I'm just going to do it because I know this is actually good for my heart. And I want to guard my heart. That's how we have to live. So that's all I got for us tonight. I skipped through that last one. Um, covetousness, it's internal, guys. And so if we can have the Lord come and change our hearts, it's going to affect every other aspect. You know, when God tells us to not murder, if our heart has been transformed, guess what? We're not going to murder. If he tells us not to steal, we're not going to steal because our heart's been transformed. If we can get our covetous heart, the thing that society is constantly trying to get us to do, saying, come and just covet. Come and want it. Come and want it all. It's all yours. If we can get that under control, then it's going to make everything so much easier. It's going to make it so much easier to just follow the commands and the plans of God. Thanks so much for listening. We hope that this message ministered to you and that the Lord met you. You can follow us on Instagram at gatekeepersatl. We'll see you in the next episode.